grabs in the super lotto this week. I'll give you another hint, all right? These numbers mean absolutely nothing to you. They mean nothing to you. But they mean everything to me. Over the years, these numbers have meant everything to me because these are the places where I have called home in my lifetime. And as you can see, I've moved around from time to time. And the most exclusive address on this list, 24255 Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu. And even though my room and my, where I lived there, my pad there, was a room in Dorm 11, uh, and it was small, and I had to share it with a guy named Keith Franklin, it was my home for the two years that I was at Pepperdine University. And there's just something about that four-letter word, home, that just stirs up some very warm feelings, something about it. Charles Dickens once wrote, and I'll put his quote up here for you, home is a name, a word. It is a strong one, stronger than a magician ever spoke or a spirit ever answered to in the strongest conjuration. Dickens said that home is a strong word. It is so strong that Dorothy Gale clicked her ruby slippers three times. I'd do it, but I'd probably trip, right? And said and repeated, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Because all she wanted was to go home. There's something about home. When E.T. realized that he was marooned on an alien planet, his first instinct was to call home. E.T. E.T. phone home. Right? E.T. phone home. <laughs> Author Susan Maxwell Booth said that the mere mention of the word evokes this longing so profound it can only be described in terms of a physical ailment. Homesickness homesick when you're not home. But despite all the warm feelings that we associate with home, it, it can also arouse these thoughts of alienation and fear and sadness and pain. Many of you are all too familiar with terms like single family home or broken home or dysfunctional home or even homelessness. And that may describe your home situation today. Well, this weekend, we're kicking off a brand new series called This is Home. And this series is about another kind of a home that God has given to us, and that's the church. It's not about an address. It's about the church. And so this series is not about how you can make a home, how you can be the father or the mother of your home, how you can heal a broken home, or how you can make a dysfunctional home functional. This series is about the church and, all that God, that, and what God has given us in the church. And, and, you know, every once in a while, Pastor Greg and I like to come up here and share the, share the pulpit so that you can hear from the both of us. And today, we, we both wanted to come up here and share a little bit about the church because there, there's really nothing closer to our hearts, other than our wives, nothing closer to our hearts than, than the church. I mean, there's something about the church that just thrills us so much. And, and we have learned over the years that in every sense of the word, the home is a, the church is a home. The church is a family. And so that's what this series is all about. And so I want to open up our time in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dig into God's word a little bit. And uh, I think you'll be excited to, to uh, hear what the word of God has to say this morning. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much. It's so good to be here today. And God, we thank you so much for all that you're doing here in, in this home. And Father, for, for South Bay, it's been home for, for a lot of people for a long time, and it's and becoming a home for just a lot of new people here recently. But I, I think, Lord, there's, there's also a sense in which we don't really comprehend or understand what it means, what that fully means to be part of a home. 
<clears throat> so, Father, I pray that throughout this series, today and throughout this series, that you would speak to each and every one of us from your word, from the things that we have to share here uh, today. God, that, that we would understand and that we would commit ourselves to a home, to a church, um, so that we can be what you want us to be and so that everyone else can be that as well. So speak to us today, Lord God, and again, bless our hearts. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the church has been around for quite a number of years, probably at least 2,000 years. It, during his ministry, Jesus promised that he would give us a, a, the church. And the start of the church was directly linked. It was directly connected to the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, if you brought your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. And if my calculations are correct, if they're correct, you would have, that would have been, the start of the church would have been around 33 A.D. 33 A.D., the place would have been Jerusalem. It would have been Jerusalem. Tens of thousands of Jews had gathered in the city of Jerusalem. They'd come from all different places, all throughout the Holy Land. They, they went there to, to uh, celebrate the Passover. Here's what happened. 50 days, 50 days after Christ was raised from the dead, Roughly around 33 A.D. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Oh, let me just grab it for you real quick. And it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. This is verse 1. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And you can stop right there. So, 50 days after Jesus rose from the, from the grave, a group of Jewish believers in Jesus were gathered there in Jerusalem... And the Spirit of God came down from heaven, filled the place where they were at, filled their hearts. He filled their hearts of those who believe in Christ, and the church was born. That's when the church started. Now, initially on that day, there were 120 believers. And then that same day, Peter went on to deliver an incredible sermon. And it says that the Scriptures tell us that on that day, 3,000 more people were added uh, to the church, and I would imagine before the end of the day was over, there were, there were even more. But in the space of just a few hours, the church went from zero to thousands, zero to thousands. Talk about explosive growth. That was explosive growth of the church and had to be utter pandemonium and euphoria because a new era had dawned. The church was born. What were they to do next? Pastor Greg. It's a great question. What do you do when your church explodes from 120 to 3,000 overnight, right? So obviously these disciples who are fishermen, they bust out their rusty hammers and they erect these huge, tall, stained glass buildings, 3,000 seat auditoriums, amazing acoustic sound, right? Not exactly. Interestingly, you look in the entire book of Acts and you know what you never see once? You never see a church building. You don't see a church building in the book of Acts. So what do you do with 3,000 new believers? Where do you put them all? Well, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, circle that word homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the question is, where do you put all these brand new believers, thousands of them? Well, in homes. The church was in the home. 
And the home became central to the early Christian church. It was in the home that everything took place. It was in the home where they would break bread together. It was in the home where they would share communion together. It was in the home where they would gain insights from the word of God together. It was in, in the home that they would do outreach and they would do discipleship and they would do preaching and they would do worship. They would do fellowship in the home. The church was in the home and in the home was the family. Now, I want to be very clear that when we're talking about home, it wasn't so much the house itself that made the home. You know that it is the family that made the home. It was this willingness of believers to open up their hearts to one another and open up themselves to reach out and meet the needs of other people. And if homes were opened up, it was because their hearts were first opened up. And so a lot of things took place inside the home, sometimes outside of the home. They would go to the temple together, or they would go into the house together, or they would go out on the roads and evangelize together, or go serve widows together. But it was this togetherness. It was this family togetherness and willingness to open each other up, this hospitality that made the church. And so this church kept blowing up, and, and people were finding out about Jesus and giving their lives to Christ, and it kept growing and growing. There in Jerusalem, where, like Pastor Gary said, a lot of people were, were strangers to the land, pilgrims from different places, and yet the only reason why the church could be sustained was because of this willingness of believers to open their hearts up to each other and treat each other like family and to view each other as family. So all of a sudden, the New Testament starts to make a lot more sense, right? You see repeated over and over again this, this command for the church to keep on showing hospitality, right? For example, look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter Peter 4, verse 8 and 9 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality, circle that word hospitality, to one another without grumbling. Keep on showing hospitality, keep loving each other, then Romans chapter 12, verse 13 reiterates this. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Circle that word hospitality. And, and, and those words I had you circle in the Greek language in which this was originally written is the word philoxenos. Philoxenos. And if you break that down, that's actually two words put together. Uh, phileo is the word to love. Xenos is the word for stranger. Right, where xenophobia is the fear of strangers, philoxenos, hospitality, is love towards strangers. It's having this love towards strangers. And the implication is, is this love towards strangers that's generous, that's warm, that's welcome, that's loving, that's friendly, even though you're not familiar with them yet. And so that's what hospitality is. And the Bible tells us, keep on showing hospitality God keeps telling the people, this is a command from God, this is an expectation from God for his people that you would show hospitality. Now the question is why? Why does God care that we show love to strangers? Well, if you go way back with me, go way back with me to the Old Testament, and you're going to see that God has always been a hospitable God, and this has always been an expectation of the people of God. Right? He, he says to the Israelites in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 and 34, he says to his people, he says this, When a stranger sojourns in your land, you shall not do him wrong. 
You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So check this out. Way before the church was birthed in the New Testament, way back in the Old Testament, God had been already telling his people, the people of Israel, show hospitality. When there is a stranger who travels into your land, an alien from a foreign land, treat them as if they were natives in your land. In other words, treat them like they were your family, like they were born there, like this is their home. What's the basis? Well, he said in verse 34, I'd love for you to underline it. He says, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In other words, Israel, you know, you know what it was like to be foreigners in another land. You know what it felt like to be displaced. You know what it felt like to be overlooked, even mistreated, because you were aliens and strangers. I don't know how many of you guys remember the last time you felt like a stranger, if you've ever felt like a stranger. During my sabbatical, and I took a break from, from South Bay Community Church, which I call home, and everybody uh, seems so familiar to me here. And when I was on my sabbatical, I decided that um, it would be good for my family to get away on a family retreat. So I signed us up for a conference. It's a Christian conference up in the mountains. And we thought it would be good to just be among other Christians and just hang out for a week. And I have to tell you, immediately, it just felt so strange to me. By day two, I was wanting to go home. And you could ask my wife. She, she heard me just vent, and I'm like, I just feel so strange here. Like nobody's talking to us. Nobody cared to know our names. Nobody cared to ask where we're from. Nobody opened up their tables for us to sit down. No, nobody sat with us. It, it was weird. And I, I just, I hated the feeling, to be honest. And, and I started thinking all these thoughts. Why won't people talk to us? Maybe it's because we're like the only Chinese family here. Like, I seriously thought maybe we just look different. Maybe they look at Monica and they look at me and they think we're like kids. They think we're like, like young people compared to everybody else. Maybe they're intimidated. Maybe they just see that. Monica looks mean and scary, and so they, they don't, they don't want to talk to us. I, why aren't they talking to us? And, and I, ho I was hoping that throughout the week it would just get better, and it never got better. In fact, we didn't stay the whole seven days. On day six, we just packed our bags and went home because I, I just didn't want to be there anymore. Now, uh, one week later, I went to another retreat, and it was so different. I, I go to this retreat, and it felt like home. Like, people came up to me, asked me my name, wanted to know about my family. Every meal, people opened up the table and said, hey, sit with us. Sit down. During the activities, people wanted me on their team. People wanted to spend time and, and get to know me. And I have to tell you, by the end of that retreat, like, I loved that retreat. I loved it. And I think I loved it so much more than I normally would have because of the disparity between what I felt back there on that mountain and feeling so alienated and such, such a stranger back there compared to this experience where I truly felt at home. Like I felt like people were reaching out to me. So when I came back from my sabbatical, it made me aware that there may be people who come here and feel like strangers, and that's not okay. And so if you know what it's like to feel like a stranger, Israel knew what it was like. 
And, and God says to him, go back to verse 34 again. He says, you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like, Israel. But look how he finishes this, this command. He finishes off with this proclamation. I am the Lord your God. So what? What does that mean, you're, you're, you're the Lord their God? Well, a lot of times in the Old Testament, that was actually part of a fuller proclamation. For example, look at Exodus 20, verse 2. And it, it brings up this picture in their mind. He says in 20, verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? So what's God doing? He's frequently reminding them, you were strangers in a foreign land. You were alienated. You were overlooked. You were displaced. But I am the Lord your God, and I brought you out of that foreign land. I reached out to you. I opened up my heart to you to bring you out of a foreign land into the promised land. I'm taking you home. I'm bringing you home. And so... Israel, if you know what it's like to be a stranger, and yet you've been met by the outstretched arms of God, and God has reached out to you, then what? Then love the stranger as you would love yourself. Then treat the stranger as if they were part of your family. Be hospitable. Be hospitable. So write this down in your notes if you're following along. Hospitality is an expectation of the people of God. Because that's been, every one of us, that's been our experience, right? Hospitality is an expect, expectation of the people of God. And so here we are today, we sit in this place, and if you are part of God's family today, understand that you were once a foreigner, a stranger to God, right? Because of our sin. The Bible says our sin made us even enemies of God. We were strangers, foreigners, and yet because of Christ, because of Christ, what happens? God reached out to us, and he brought us into his household, to his family. Heaven is our home now. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 tells us, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the what? Of the household of God. God has shown us hospitality in the greatest sense. And so hospitality is commanded of us, of God's people, because it is the most appropriate response for people who have once been strangers and who have been shown the hospitality of God. Okay, so, so it's not only a response from the people of God, but it's also a reflection of the heart of God, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. A while back, I heard a story about a man who took his uh, dog to the vet. He took his dog to the vet because he wanted to have his dog's tail completely cut off. I explained that to the vet. And so the vet says, well, you know, I don't like doing that. He says, why do you want to cut off your dog's tail? He said, well, because my mother-in-law is coming to visit us soon, and I don't want anything in the house to suggest to her that we're happy to see her. <laughs> I know that's... Bad. It's just a joke, right? Hey, but sadly, you know, sadly, there are a lot of churches just like that. There really are. There are a lot of churches that are just like that. They're not happy to see people. They're not happy to see new people. Um, true story. Years ago, a young couple came to our church for the very first time. And after the service, I, I, I pulled them aside and I asked them, hey, you know, good to have you here. How'd you hear about us? 
And they told me that it was a friend of mine who was a pastor who recommended our church to them. Here, here's how it went down. It's, again, like I said, this is a true story. They, they, went to, they, went to, they were looking for a church, so they went to his church the previous week. And after the service was over, he went up to them as well and, and chatted with them. But he said this to them. He says, hey, I just, I just want you to know that uh, our church doesn't like new people. And so I want to recommend there's a church down the street. My, pastor, my friend is a pastor, and, and they'd probably love to, to have you there. And they said, okay. And so they came. And, and uh, true story. And so they came to our church. And because he told them that they didn't like that other church, didn't like new people. And they stayed. And, they, uh, and they, they're still here. They still come to our church. I'm guessing it's been about 15 years uh, that they've been here. And they're a great couple. I mean, they were just a fa- fantastic couple. Soon after they started attending our church, I called my pastor friend. I called him up. And I thanked him. I was calling him to thank him for referring the couple to our church. But at the same time, I was, there was a part of me that was really saddened. It was grieved that, that, they, would, that they would not welcome new people. And it, and it grieved me that they missed out on the opportunity to have such a wonderful couple at their church. And nevertheless, I thanked him. And, I, and then I said this. I said, send everyone. Send everyone. Whoever you don't want, send them to our church. We would love to have them. Send them our way. And you, know, and, and, and you know why I said that? Because that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God, that people would come into his church because God loves people. Remember I talked about that last week? God loves you, and he wants you to be part of his family. And a family of God shouldn't be rejecting other members who want to be, other people who want to be part of that family. And, and God wants you, and he wants everybody you know, and everybody you don't know to have a relationship with him, to go to heaven, and to be part of a church family. As you probably may know, uh, and Pastor Greg mentioned to it, our, our real home is in heaven, right? This is even, even when church is a family, it's, it's, this is not our real home. Where you live, all these addresses, all these places, you that's not your real home. Our real home is in heaven. Now, later on this year, probably later on this year, is my, I'm, I'm guessing, you're all gonna, we're all going to have to fill out what the government calls a census form. We're going to have to fill out a census form. The government takes a census every 10 years, every decade or so. They take a census, and they want to know all kinds of information about you. And one of the questions is going to be, where is your home? Where do you live? Right? I was just thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, when we, come, when we get to that line where we have to fill out our address, we should all fill out and write heaven. <laughs> heaven is my, my real home, right? But just don't tell them I said that because then, then the They'll probably run me down, and, and I'll probably get in all kinds of trouble, and then they'll probably think that we're some kind of weird cult or something like that, that we're right like heaven. With, the, with this, like the, this is the 100th time we've gotten this response. Well, well don't really say that, but, but it's true. Heaven is our real home. But here's the thing. On this side of heaven, on this side of heaven, God intended for the church to be our home. On this side of heaven, God intended for the church to be our home. And if you're part of the church here, then when you're part of the church here, you get to taste what it will be like when you get to heaven. Here's what I mean. In the church, there is worship. Well, in, the, in heaven, there is worship as well. But when we get to heaven, when we experience worship in heaven, it will be unlike any kind of worship we have ever experienced. It will be amazing it will be ridiculous. It will be so good. There's fellowship in the church. There's fellowship in heaven. But the fellowship in heaven, it will be the sweetest fellowship 
you have ever savored. There's love and there is joy in the church, although it's imperfect and it's flawed. And there is love and joy in heaven. And the love and joy in heaven, it will be unrestrained. It will be everlasting. It will be over the top. And it will be perfect. You see, what we experience in the church is just a taste of what it will be like in heaven. There's one last thing you'll find in both places in, in the church and in heaven, and that's people. Lots and lots of people. But if what's happening in the church today is any indication of what heaven will be like, well, you know, there's probably cause for concern. Because you've probably read the statistics. I've mentioned them to you before. Survey after survey shows that people are leaving the church in droves. I mean, they are just abandoning the church. They're ex exiting the church. The number of people who say the church is their home is dwindling really fast. And, it, and it's just got to break it's just got to break God's heart because he wants heaven to be filled overflowing. He wants it to be running over with people. So many people in heaven and that, because that's the heart of God. It reminds me of the parable in Luke chapter 14 of the man who threw a great banquet. Turn to Luke 14 for a second. He, he, he threw a great banquet and invited tons of people to come to his banquet. But the very last minute, all the invited guests started to to bow out, and they started making excuses about why they couldn't come to this great banquet. Imagine that, free food, and they didn't want to go. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, that people were bowing out, that they were, they were making excuses about not going. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have... You commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. See, the point of this parable is this, such a good parable. Just like the man who wanted the banquet to be overflowing with people, God wants heaven. He wants heaven to be overflowing with people. He wants heaven to be standing room only, brimming over with people. See, the Bible says that God desires for all men to be saved. He wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to go to heaven. Not just smart people or pretty people, but poor people, as it says in this parable, poor people and crippled people and blind people and lame people. And not just kids, but teenagers and young adults and couples and people in their 80s and people in their 90s. And not just married people, but single people and divorced people and widowed people. Not just Americans, but Russians and, and Mexicans and Filipinos and, and Iranians. God wants everyone in heaven. And that's the miracle of the church. That in the church, we have one father. And under him, we are brothers and sisters. And so many people from all different walks of life can gather and it can be our home. And that's our dream. That's our dream for South Bay Community Church. That on this side of heaven, South Bay Community Church can be a home to thousands of people. That's our dream. And we believe that the linchpin, the linchpin is hospitality. It's hospitality. Philoxenos. It is loving strangers. That's the key. Because that is the expression of God's heart. If we don't begin there, then it will never happen. So write that one down. Hospitality is, is the expression of the heart of God. Yes, yeah, so hospitality, as we've learned so far, is an expectation of the people of God, and it is an expression 
of the heart of God. And when people see God's heart being expressed to the church, people get connected to Jesus, right? Going back to the book of Acts, we were talking about Pentecost and how the church blew up. It, it grew. And hospitality was important because it was accommodating that growth. But hospitality wasn't only accommodating the growth of the church family, but we see it was also facilitating growth of, in the church family, right? So church grows, people meet in homes. And as people met, met in homes, the church grew, right? As people got together in these houses to do relationship, to do fellowship, to do worship, to break bread, to learn the word, something was happening. And Acts chapter 2 verse 47 says that this is the result. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is on top of the 3,000. Something significant was happening in the home when people were opening up their hearts to one another. People were getting connected to Jesus. And I think the hospitality played a significant role in many people coming to know more about Christ. So in 2017, right, we sent a mission team to Chiba, Japan, and uh, they're working with Young Life with uh, missionary friends Daisuke and Cheryl. And our team uh, shared about how they met this, this girl sitting in the cafeteria. Uh, her name was Hamu. And so this is a picture of Kaneda, <coughs> Kaneda Hamu. She's the one in the middle, and Daisuke and Cheryl are there with her. Um, but Kaneda Hamu uh, became, you know, a good friend of theirs on that trip. They would do things together, and they would hang out together, and they would talk to her. And they built, built this relationship, and at the end of the trip, um, I was talking to Kristen Lai, who was on that team, and she was saying that her English was very broken, so that a lot of it had to be through Google Translate. And as the team was leaving, uh, she typed this word in Japanese, and it showed up through the, translation, through the translator as, in English, it said, lonely. I'm lonely. So while the team came back to the U.S., Daisuke and Cheryl continued to open up their home in Japan, Japan for uh, students to come and have meals at their home. Uh, they would do Wednesday night Bible studies, always uh, accompanied with a meal, fellowship, and then they would study the Word. And Hamu would come. Well, 2018, Daisuke and Cheryl were going to bring a group of Japanese students to the U.S. to do a homestay program. And so... Uh, they, they said they wanted to come to the South Bay, and so um, many families opened up their homes. Uh, Kristen Lai and Karen and Noel Lai opened up their home to Hamu. And so Hamu got to stay with, with them, and the Lai family, they, they loved on them. They fed them. They housed um, Hamu. And, and I know a lot of our students went out to uh, take the students like Hamu out. I know I see Chaz here, Chaz and Corey Hamada and Paige, and Kristen would go out and and Kristen was telling me they would continue to try to talk to Hamu about Jesus. And, and Kristen said it wasn't very visible right away, but I believe something was happening in Hamu's heart. Something was happening in her heart. After the group stayed in L.A., they went on to Arizona where other Christians opened up their home to these students. And Hamu got to stay in the home of, a, of another Christian family. And then after Arizona, the, the group went up to Northern California near San Francisco, where other Christians opened up their home, and Hamu got to stay in a, another home of a Christian family. And I believe something was happening in her heart that was being affirmed from house to house to house. Because they got to this point on the, that last leg of the trip where they were going to go visit Yosemite, 
And as they were driving by Yosemite, they drove by Lake Don Pedro. You see this lake from the car, and, and it was said that Hamu sees that lake, and she says out loud, I, I wonder if I can get baptized in that lake. And of course, that catches people's attention. They, they pull over, they have lunch, and Pastor Shimada, who was in, in, in that group at the time, sat down with her over lunch and went through the gospel with her, helped explain it to make sure she really understood what the gospel is about. And when he was done, she accepted it and she affirmed it. She said, I believe this. And so right there and then, they walked down into Lake Don Pedro and baptized Hamu right there in the lake. Gave her life to Christ before brothers and sisters. People were showing the hospitality of their God. And it was connecting Hamu to Jesus. It was connecting Hamu to Jesus. I believe that when we Christians open up our hearts and we show hospitable love to strangers, they are seeing an expression of God's heart that God's heart yearns. Yearns for the lost. Yearns for the stranger. Yearns to bring them into his household. And so when our hearts are opened up, are opening up to others, we're also opening up opportunities to expose people to the Son of God. Right, John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus told us this. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So would you write this down in your notes as well? Hospitality creates exposure to the Son of God. Hospitality creates exposure to the Son of God. Okay, so... Here's the challenge that we have at South Bay Community Church, right? In the, in the, in the New Testament church, Acts chapter 2 church, there were a lot of people, at least 3,000 people on that very first day, probably more. We're not as large as the Acts chapter 2 church. We're probably about half that size, include all the kids. But still, there are a lot of people here at our church, and there probably isn't a weekend that goes by when... Pastor Greg and I don't, you know, don't say to each other, wow, who are all these people? We don't even know anybody anymore. And we say that a lot, and, maybe you, and you'd probably definitely say that because you don't know anybody anymore. And, uh, and we want to change that. We want to change that. Um, it's because here's the thing. Even though we're a family, even though we're a home, the, the truth is most of you are strangers to each other. You're strangers to each other. Um, a couple of months ago, 36 of us went to Israel. We, back, we went in November. In fact, uh, just, let me just hit the pause button on this for a second, all right, um, and, and digress for a minute. Uh, on Friday, I got a call from our tour. Uh, the folks that put the tour together for us, informing us, informing me that they, uh, they got a call from the, uh, the airline, and they have another 50 seats uh, for, that would leave from LAX to Germany to Tel Aviv, November 1st, November 1st through November 10th of this year. And they wanted to know if we wanted those 50 seats. And so I said, yes, hold on to those 50 seats for us, and let me talk to the church and see if anyone is interested in going. So if you are interested in going to Israel, uh, as we did, as 36 of us did, I've got 50 seats, and I'm holding them for you. And uh, coming up on January, Sunday, January 26th, so save the date, circle that, we're going to have an orientation meeting. First of all, we're going to have, the, hopefully, all 36 of us who went on that trip, they'll, they'll be here. And they're going to tell you a little bit about our experience and what it was like. And, and then we're going to, we'll, we'll tell you about the new trip coming up. And on the new trip, I want to do a couple things different. I, I, I want to see if we can 
go to Jordan and, and see Petra and a couple of other things, but it's going to be a little bit different. But, but if you are interested in hearing about our trip and, and interested about going on this next trip, November 1st to November 10th, January 26th, 1 o'clock here in this room right after the, the second service on Sunday, and we'll tell you all about it. And then and we'll tell you what it's going to cost and that whole thing. And then you can make a decision. But anyways, here's our group. This is our group uh, that, we went, uh, that we went to Israel with. And he- here we are. We're standing on the Mount of Olives, you know, overlooking the Temple Mount. You can see the Temple Mount in the back- background where, where King Solomon built the temple, and where Herod's temple once stood. And it was absolutely amazing that as we were standing on the te- on Mount of Olives, I was reminded of Zechariah 12 through 14, that one day Jesus is going to come and stand on that very mountain. And, when, and this will be in the second coming. When he stands on that mountain, it's going to split right in half between the east and the west. And I was thinking, wow, that is so cool, right? That is so cool. It's going to happen one day. But anyways, we, here we are, the 36 of us. And here's, here's the truth. Most of us who went on this trip um, I might have been the exception, obviously, but most of us who went on this trip didn't know most of the other people who were on this trip. And again, I, I knew most people because that's my job, right? So, but most people, I, you know, even someone who's been around a church for a long time, like Kevin, you know it right here. He says, well, he probably knew four or five people. No, maybe a little bit more, five or six people, right? Because with so many people, you don't get to know everybody. So, so most of us were strangers on this trip. But you know what happened after, after 10 days of traveling together? Ten days of traipsing around the Holy Land together at the end of the trip. We were all friends. We were all good friends. And that happens when you sit on a bus together as you go from site to site. Or when you go shopping at the Jerusalem Marketplace. And I see Gladys Ellenberger right there, right? It just it is so, it's such a wonderful experience. I see Alyssa Finch over there. Uh, something happens when you eat every single meal together for 10 days straight. And when you put on a bathing suit and go float in the Dead Sea, that, that really gets you close to each other. Something happens. Strangers become friends when you laugh together and you play together. And we strangers became friends. And we, we grew in genuine love for one another. In fact, that first Sunday that we all got when we were back from our trip, we were just so excited to see each other. I mean, we couldn't stop hugging and, and just kissing each other and just so thrilled to be uh, together. And that's what God wants for the church. That's what he wants for our church, that we wouldn't be strangers, but that we would be friends. And it all starts with hospitality. It, and it can't happen. Let me just say this. It can't happen. This can't happen if you sneak in here and you sneak out of here Every Sunday, which some of you do. You can't sneak in and sneak out as quickly as you can. And it can't happen if you hop around from church to church and you don't settle down and just make a commitment somewhere. You've got to be intentional about it. And it, it all starts with hospitality, philoxenos. Now, I realize that we can't all go to Israel together, right? So we're not going to be able to do that. But there are some things that we can do right here, right now. And I want Pastor Gray to tell you about that. So here, here, here's the last thing we want to share with you as, as a point of application. We're going we're gonna to try this as a church family. Um, if you look in your Baywatch, you'll, you'll see a peach-colored flyer, salmon-colored flyer. Um, it says, this is home on it. And this is kind of a family uh, 
project, we'll call it the family plan here at the church, but we realized that maybe about 500 of you are in life groups, 500 or so, which means at least 500 or, or more aren't in life groups. You're not connected to a life group yet, and that could be for various reasons, and part of that is on us. We're, we're always scrambling to find more leaders to form more groups, which is a great problem, but it does uh, leave some of us disconnected, and so if you're not in a life group, we realize it could be really hard to, to get to know people in a church this size. And so what we want to do is we want to ask you, if you are not in a life group yet, to, to consider filling out this form today. And uh, as you write your name on it and fill out the information, one thing that we didn't leave a space for you to do, but we would like uh, for you somewhere on this to indicate to us um, your life stage. Like if you, you're in your 50s, say, you know, I'm between 50 to 60. Or if you're a young adult, um, say, I'm, I'm between 25 to 35. Let us know your general life stage. If you're a single, if you're married, if you have kids. Maybe you're like me and you're like 21. Um, and uh, <laughs> this year I'll be turning 21 again. Um, but let's say that's you. Just say I'm between 18 to 25. And that helps us to kind of form these kind of like families, right? They're not life groups. And the purpose of this is not to try to get you into a life group. Uh, this is really to just get, we're going to take these names that come in. And over the course of the next two weeks, we're going to work together to put you in these, these families. And, and the life groups have a heads up. We've talked to all the leaders. And what the life groups are going to do is uh, we're going to pair families with these life groups. And over the next eight weeks, we, we've challenged life groups to do at least three. We, we hope there's more than three over the next eight weeks, but at least three events or activities where you guys can get together and just be family, get to know each other. So, for example, what are some things that these life groups can do with these families we pair them up with? Well, we can eat, eat and uh, greet each other, right? So maybe it starts off with a potluck. We open up a home somewhere or we'll open up the church for you where you can just sit around a table, have a meal, and get to know each other. Maybe it's worship together. Okay, maybe you'll decide, hey, let's all meet at the 9 a.m. service. Let's sit together. We'll worship together. We'll, we'll learn the word together. Then after church, let's go grab brunch. Or if it's 11 a.m. service, let's go grab lunch afterwards and let's do an, a meal together. Maybe it's, um, oh, by the way, we hope to have a, a worship night coming up soon, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll let you know more information about that worship night. But maybe it's like, hey, let's go to that worship night together. Maybe it's serving together. You could do a service project, right? Maybe there's somebody you know of within that group who's going on a mission trip, and you decide, let's do a Saturday morning yard sale. Let's work together for four hours to raise funds for this person going on missions. Or let's go to this care home, and let's just visit the residents at this care home. Or I was just talking to uh, Kim Carlin today, this, before the service. She said her life group, they've been putting together care packages for homeless or people in need, so that they have packages ready to hand out. So maybe it's, it's serving together. Or, or, or maybe it's playing together. Playing is a good thing. Go to Planet Escape Room uh, here in Torrance, where you guys could maybe have a competition, split into two teams, and see who can escape quicker. Or, or maybe go to the bowling alley, have a little tournament among you. Maybe it's going hiking down at the PV Cove on a Saturday morning. But we're hoping, like the Israel team had, we're hoping for shared experiences where strangers, maybe the stranger down your row right now is no longer a stranger. And we pray that as we get together that 
every believer would open up their hearts in hospitality to one another. And we pray that strangers would become friends, even lifelong friends. And maybe these, out of these events and activities, maybe new life groups will form. That would be great. But we pray that lifelong friendships will happen because we think it's great that strangers are coming to this home. It is not great for strangers to come and remain strangers. It is not okay for strangers to come to this home and feel like what I felt back there on that mountain. When I felt like I wanted to leave that place and never come back, that is not okay. We must, as a church, we must demonstrate our love and our hospitality. We must express the heart of our God. And our home and our hospitality has to be characteristic of who we are because it is essentially who our God is. Amen? This is home. Would you guys join us in prayer as, as we commit ourselves to the Lord? God, we thank you so much that you have reached out to us. God, we were foreigners and strangers and enemies because of our sin. We were so far from you. And yet the mission of this home is to help people who are far from God find and follow Jesus. And so, God, would you help us as the church grows? We thank you for that, but we pray that the church would shrink in the sense that our relationships become more intimate, that our familiarity with each other keeps on growing, Lord, that we would just know each other, and not just see each other on the weekends, but we would know each other. God, we can't do this without you, so we ask that you would help us to truly act like this is our home. God, thank you for opening up your hearts to us. We just ask now that you would help us open up our hearts to one another, Lord. Continue to make your heart known and make your son known through what we do here in your, in your house. God, we worship you, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.